Joshua chapter 7. We start at verse 1 and we read the whole chapter. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Haven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said, Let not, said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. And there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about thirty and six men. For they chased them from before the gates, even unto Sibrahim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide. He and the elders of Israel and put, to, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, <clears throat> what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us around, and cut off our name from the earth. And what shalt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou dust upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded them. <clears throat> For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also hidden. And they have put even they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but he turned their backs before their enemies. Because they were accursed, neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourself against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou cannot stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the households which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. And he and all that he hath. Because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribes of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah and took the family of the Zarhites and brought the family of the Zarhites man by mans. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Kemri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils of a goodly Babylonian garment and two thousand shekels of silver, a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. <clears throat> so Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took him out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and, to all, and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out 
before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the garment, and the wets of gold, and his sons and his daughters, his oxen and his asses, his sheep and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought him unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we read this solemn chapter. Lord, would you uh, create in our minds solemnity about this, Lord, about our own lives, about our own sin, Lord, and uh, what you have done, and uh, that we be encouraged, convicted by it. In Jesus' great name, amen. Well, we're steadily going into the uh, book of Joshua, uh, and uh, last time we had looked at the great collapse of Jericho, that mighty fortress of a city. It was an unusual battle strategy and the Lord that the Lord had demanded for them, but they had obeyed and victory was won over Jericho. Sort of a strong and foreboding warning had been given not to take anything from the accursed thing of the loot of the city itself. It was all fitted or devoted for destruction. Except the silver and the gold and some vessels of brass, uh, God would take those as his first fruits and they would be brought into the treasury of the Lord, to the tabernacle for his glory and for his honor. We also saw that great escape of one family, the family of Rahab, and she was the sole survivor of that fiery judgment. And in the last verse of 627, it reads, And the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout the country. As promised in the earlier chapters, the Lord would raise up Joshua, as he had done with Moses. And while Jericho was leveled, Joshua was raised up in favor with God and his people. So until now, we have seen great miracles, great victories, great examples of faith in the people, obedience and Encouragement from the people itself, and everything had gone quite smoothly. And the Lord was blessing Joshua and the nation. Well, in this chapter, we can roughly summarize that in three headings. One is the defeat of Ai. Two, the seeking the guilty one. Three, the judgment of God. First, let us look at the defeat of Ai in the first nine verses. And verse 1 starts already with an ominous but. But, it says, indicating that something is about to change for the people of Canaan. They were going to be reminded once again, and it kind of gives us away in the first uh, verse there, and they experience the defeat of the nation. They would be reminded of the holiness of God, the seriousness of sin, and the judgment of God, and this gets laid out in this first verse, right at the beginning, sort of a synopsis of how the rest of the chapter will unfold. Keep in mind, of course, that we as readers now know what was all happening, and Joshua did not know yet. He's to find out later. Achan had, against all warnings given, uh, helped himself and so aligned himself to those things that were devoted to destruction. There was a, a snake in the garden. There was a rotten apple in the lot. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lot, Paul wants the church. In anger, it says, it says the wrath was kindled. Picturing something that it was kindled, it was warming up, it was set ablaze. And everyone was very unaware of that at that very, motion, uh, very moment. And they went with that condition. They fought the enemies. It's a good picture of sinners, isn't it? Merrily going along the broad way and willingly ignorant on the road that they're walking on. Jonathan Edwards, who preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he preached about that one passage 
um, in Deuteronomy 23:35, to me belong vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come to them make haste. So it was like a ticking time bomb in their midst, and they, including Joshua, were woefully unaware of it. We know it, but they don't know it yet. So Jericho was uh, by far not the only city that needed to be conquered in, uh, by the Israelites. It was merely the first one in, in many. Um, Deuteronomy 7 talks about there would be seven nations that would have to be driven out by God's help, and uh, Jericho had only been the beginning. So in verses 3 and 4, we see as had Joshua done before, some spies were sent out. Some folks were sent to uh, the next city of importance, Ai, to check it out. It was a place where Abraham actually had called upon the Lord a short distance from Jericho. They were to view the city, perhaps from top of the mountain, to get a good idea about the next battle plans. Well, the man came back with a favorable report, isn't it? As they had done with Jericho, they came back and told Joshua that uh, it was a small city. Their defenses were so insignificant and little that there would be no need in sending the entire army. They even said, don't bother about breaking up the entire camp. We just need uh, two or 3,000 soldiers instead of the 600,000. This will be an easy picnic, and we'll be back before you know it. You can even see in the terms, he said, uh, don't make the people labor and toil here. It will be quick and effortless. Notice how self-confidence and earlier success can make us and them, assuming they can just do this on their own. We don't see any counsel sought here by the Lord. Past successes can be dangerous. Noah, after he came from the ark, safe and sound, he let his guard down, became drunk. Azza, in Chronicles, it's recorded he had fought and done many things, won battles, he made great bulwarks, talks about great stone slings he built. What does it say? But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Remember, David had won many battles. He famously stayed home from the battlefield when he should have been fighting. And his eyes lingered and looked upon that woman on the rooftop, and he fell. Things can go well. We can win our own battles against sin, but we can become self-reliant and self confident. Past success in our battle with sin is really great and it is wonderful, but we do need to continually keep our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith daily. Daily pray, daily lean on him, daily be in his word. It is a serious mistake to underestimate the strength of our enemy, A.W. Pink writes, writes, and we set up ourselves for a fall if we turn if we trust the arm of flesh notice also that at other times Joshua himself had inquired of the Lord concerning major battles the crossing of the Jordan uh, major decisions but this time we don't see him do that he agrees with the plan of the advice that the the, uh, the fellows came back with to just to send 3,000 men and to get the deal done. And also you can just see that they kind of trusted in numbers here instead of the Lord. They had forgotten already that the battle of Jericho was not really won by them. They did little of it, but it was the Lord that had done it for them. He, it was he that brought down those walls. It was, of course, Achan that sinned the most in this chapter. That is clear. And the anger was upon him. But we can also learn lessons and applications from the others as well. Well, how did that go for them? The men of AI send them back with their tails 
between their legs, isn't it? Send them back running all the way to Shebarim, it says. It's a quarry of, of stones, likely in the mountains somewhere. The idea is that they were chased away. They were scared like rabbits. Nowhere to hide. They even lost 36 men or so. And their bodies were lying die, uh, death, dead outside the city walls of Ea. And all the people of Ea could, could look at them. Without the Lord, their strength was gone. Helpless and hopeless. They fled because the Lord was not with them. And we're about to find out why. What a great U-turn had all of a sudden happened, isn't it? Look at verse 5. It says, Wherefore their hearts melted. The hearts of the people melted and became as water. You remember when Rahab looked after the spies, what did she tell them? Oh, the people here, their hearts are melted with fear of the living God you guys serve. And when that news she had greatly encouraged the people of Israel. Now this was their condition. Now they were suffering from a tremendous amount of fear and angst. It was a humiliating defeat by a much smaller town. A reversal of the times that they had recently so much enjoyed. Well, Joshua is obviously distraught. He is perplexed. His reaction is one of surprise, of fear, of questioning, a bit of arguing. And it was like a thunder strike in a cloudless day. A total and devastating turn of events. The notice the first thing he does, he rents his clothes, he falls once again to the ground in front of the Ark of the Covenant, that place where God dwells. Till evening time, it says, probably until the time of the evening sacrifice. A posture, him and the, and the elders, a posture of adoration and prayer. You imagine what goes through his mind as he lay there in front of the Ark as the leader of Israel. Did I make a mistake? Did I listen to wrong counsel? Is there sin in me? Why did, this, why did God let this happen? He would need to be finding answer for the people, for the families that um, had loved ones die. You'll notice in his prayer that he, like Moses, is just a man of flesh and blood, isn't he? He prays like Moses did in the past or some of the Israelites with a bit of a questioning accusation to the Lord. Did he forget the promise that he had been given back in chapter 1, that the Lord would drive out the enemies, that he would give him all the land? He questions God about being brought this side of the Jordan. And he even charges God with bringing them out there to destroy him there. He says this in a weakness, in a moment of weakness, bewilderment, and confusion. He even says it would have been better to have dwelt on the other side of Jordan. What? Was this the same Joshua that was courageous and strong from a few chapters earlier? Would he already give up on that long promised promised land? Calvin writes about this. He said, he certainly oversteps the bounds of moderation when he charges God with bringing them out in the desert for bad motives or in the land of Canaan for bad motives. Does that not once again show us our weakness, our proneness to question God? Are we not thankful, by the way, that the Holy Spirit makes Prayers that intercede for us. He makes all our fumbling and imperfect prayers perfect. How pro prone are we to forget God's overarching plans for us, promises that He's given to every blood bought believer in Christ? For His plans for us and the church, the body at large, when things temporarily seem to go 
not the right way. Joshua could have gone back for a short walk and seen those memorial stones which he had set up to remember God's care in the past, present, and in the future. However, his prayer, like ours, sometimes, are mixed. And you notice in verse 7, his deep concern was with the chosen people, that they would flee before the, the wicked pagans. And he said, what will that do to your glory and to your name, O God? He seems to say, remember your glory when you think of your people. I want, don't want your name to be dishonored, to be defiled, to be mocked amongst the heathen in this world. He is probably wondering what the headline will be in the AI daily. Israel defeated, 36 dead, chased out of our area. His heart and love for God come out. His love for the glory of the one that dwells in the ark, of whom he is in front of, his name and his holiness. And do we not, as believers, similarly grieve and hate when we see the name of our triune God mocked and blasphemed, his law and his principles turned around into opposites, ignored and replaced, all that in the name of progress and virtue. Second point is seeking the guilty one. So he saw the Lord and the, law, the Lord hears his servant and does not leave him in his misery and despondency for long. There's work to be done and things to, issues to figure out. He has seen and acknowledged the humility of Joshua. Gets up, get up, he tells him, and I will make things plain to you. In a few words, he will take away the bewilderment and the surprise of what happened. The problem, of course, is not with God, but with sin, Joshua. Not God's goodness or wrong motives, but with Israel's wickedness. It's interesting, by the way, in that prayer of Joshua, he does not start out with, Lord, have we sinned? Is it me? Is it the nation that somehow fails you? A good lesson for us to consider when things go south to ask the Lord and ask him, are you chastening us? Are you correcting me? Do I need to examine something in my life? And the Lord tells him that Israel has sinned. Notice he addresses the whole nation in this and deals with them as one unit, even though one person or one family perhaps has, has done it. Why was this? Was it not just Achan? Yes, it was, and he will get the punishment for it. But no one lives to himself. Our sins affects everyone. The nation had to see this and be reminded of it, in particular as they were just in the promised land. God set the tone for the new epoch, the new era, when his judgment came on them. Contrary to what Cain believed, we are our brother's keeper. And when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer, be it sin or otherwise. Paul Den Butter writes concerning this passage. After all, is the sin that surfaces in Achan not present in others? Is he really an exception? Does not the same fire that burned brightly in Achan also smolders in others or in you and me. We do well to remember the sins, <clears throat> that sins have consequences and impact our families, our church, community at large. And the sin was fivefold. They had broken the covenant, the covenant. They had taken the accursed thing. They had stolen, they had stolen from God no less. They had lied and deceived, dissembled this named dissemble there and they had hidden things in their own tent and covered up the crime as people are prone to now therefore Joshua sorry 
uh, he, he, the Lord says to Joshua, you could not win this town, neither will you ever win this town, because there was sin in your midst. And as long as you treasure and love sin and hide it in your hearts, you will fail. The cherem, meaning things devoted to destruction that the Israelites had been ordered to do in Jericho, had been disobeyed. And now they had become the accursed, the great reversal. Even God tells him, unless you destroy the accursed from among you, I will not be with you anymore. Sin had to be dealt with. It had to be removed. Even prayer without removing sin would be useless. So Joshua gets, tells the people as a whole they should sanctify themselves in verse 13, either by prayer, personal repentance of sin themselves. You know, David prays, Lord, search my heart, see if there's any wicked way in myself, in me, for all have sinned, or maybe by the washing of clothes or a combination of things. And perhaps Achan could still come forward on his own by these acts. This they had to do, as no victory would come if this sin was not exposed and dealt with. Verse 14, God, God tells them that the tribes would be brought forth before the elders and Joshua, tribe by tribe, and then the heads of the tribe that the accuser would eventually be exposed precisely how the Lord told which tribe, which household, which family, and which man finally it was, we are not told. Some think it was by the casting of lots, or by the use of the Urim and the Thummim, uh, which, the, which is the, what the priest carried. It was sort of a, a, a biblical divination, as it were. There were some stones there, and they could ask the Lord uh, questions, and they would say either yes or no. Or was it maybe by the Lord simply speaking to Joshua as every tribe passed by? Not this one or not that one. However, it precisely went. The outcome was that it would bring forth death, trouble, and folly to the nation. And they would be burned with fire. In verse 16, we see Joshua, as we've seen before, he rises up early in the morning. He swiftly goes to work. But now he's going to be an executioner of justice. He's not done that before. Sadly, the very sentence that was supposed to be on the wicked nations is now being prepared to be brought on one of their own. The misery that sin brings, and don't we all know it? Don't we all, if we know ourselves just a little bit, see that in many ways we are like Aiken, and how sin so easily besets us. Verse 16 to 18, we see that process of finding the culprit. And imagine for a moment with me and place yourself there. Caskets of the 30-plus people that died are somewhere in the back. There's a gloomy atmosphere around no doubt at this point that people understand that something serious has happened. Sin has been in the camp. And they're starting to understand why there was that great loss the day before. And as tribe by tribe passes by, they would ask themselves, well, is it, is it our tribe? Is it my broader family? Is it my family unit? Or is it me, perhaps? Remember when some of the disciples and the Lord revealed that one would betray him. He said, well, is, is it me? It's good to be aware of our own weaknesses, isn't it? Our shortcomings. And that we can say, if it was, it would be me if it wasn't for the grace of God. And imagine the sullenness of that moment. The fear of each of the head of the tribes, the families, as the process unfolded. And imagine Achan. He was standing there in the midst of that massive crowd. What was he thinking? Was he fearful? Was he still a bold sinner? Was he just nervous or ashamed? Did he still think he would get away with it? 
So the tribe of Judah was taken. So there was a great relief to the other tribes, but more nerve-wracking for the people of Judah. Achan gets a little bit more nervous. Should he tell Joshua now? Should he come forward now that he was the troubler in Israel? A further family is taken out. The family of Zerai, the son of Judah, so a smaller group remains. Still Achan stands there, and Calvin says about him. Here we see the monstrous stupor that Achan is in. He does not hesitate to insult his maker. He's blinded by sin, guilt, shame. He still does not come out and owns his sin as his circle keeps closing in. Well, finally, the lot falls on Achan. Like David, he had that thou art the man moment. Like Jonah, when he was confronted by unbelievers, no less, confronted about his sin, Achan's sin was found out, as it always does, either in this life or, or afterwards. Your sin will find you out. And you can imagine the, the crowd looking at this man. They probably had known him for years. Maybe they lived in the neighboring tent. Is this the guy that brought an end to the successful entry into the promised land? Is this the guy, this the guy's fault who's smelling corpuses we now smell in the back? Oh, how sin brings forth death and destruction. And look at the kind way of Joshua as he addresses Achan. As a type of Christ, he now even pleads with him to yet give glory to God, to yet confess his sin even though he waited till the very end to do so, to be confronted, like David, suppose. Joshua calls him in a kind and warm manner, calling him his son, and pleads with him to give glory and honor to God and tell the people what he has done. Hide it no longer, Achan, he says. John Gill reasons that another reason for a public confession would be that his family members later on could not deny that he had done it, that it, it had come out of his own mouth. They had all heard it. The whole nation was affected by this sin, and Joshua ur urges him for a public confession to make his last hours perhaps somewhat beneficial for himself and for the nation. For Achan and his family, this day would be his last. Well, there's no running away now for Achan. The lot has been cast with preciseness and with accuracy, and Achan explains and confesses candidly what happened. And he gives those left behind, his tribe, you and me, and generation that were to follow, some valuable lessons to ponder. He makes what seems to be an honest and heartfelt Confession. We don't see any excuses or, or blame. First of all, he calls out that he had sinned. It was sin. It was sin foremost in the sight of God, the Lord God of Israel. The song we sung this morning, you know, I've sinned against your face right in front of him. The very God that brought him through the wandering years in the desert it was he had sinned against. Achan was there when he had seen the manna falling. He was there when he saw the pillar of light and the, the, the cloud by day. He was there when he saw the Jordan break open, the ark in the middle, and everybody pass by. And just days ago, he had seen that miraculous tumbling of the walls of Jericho. It is clear to him that against this God, the covenant God, whose kindness and mercy had he seen and tasted all his life, he had sinned. He had loaded Achan daily with benefits and mercies, and he had sinned against him. The Lord God against Jehovah Elohim. But he goes 
further. And he tells us what happened there in the rubble of Jericho. Instead of being amazed by the walls falling down or helping others slay the rest of the inhabitants or getting the, gathering the treasures for the treasury, he was busy with something else, wasn't he? And he tells us plainly. He saw, he coveted, he took, and he hid. He saw. He first noticed amidst the rubble of the housing some small treasure of silver, a golden bar shaped as a tongue and a traditional mantle or rope of Babylon. They were known in that area, they were known for making beautiful robes. It was an easy opportunity. It presented itself quite nicely. It was like the tree in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? It was very pleasant and good to behold. Like Bathsheba on the mount, on the rooftop. Like Lot choosing the area of Sodom and Gomorrah because it was nice and it was green. Like Judas thinking that those silver pieces would be worth it. Not only did he see it, but he honestly said he coveted it. And begun with his eyes and went to his heart. He really wanted it. And once again, he thought maybe once I'm settled in the land, when I've got my piece of land allotted to me, it would be nice to have a little bit of a startup money. Thou shalt not covet is one of the commandments we've heard today, and he should have been familiar with it. Think of the excuses that he could come up with. No one will miss it, or I'll give some of it away to a poor guy maybe, a couple percent. There's so much here. Don't think the Lord needs it all. Or if, if I don't take it, my kids will go hungry. I won't have a proper startup, and so on, and so on. How aptly did the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some had coveted after. And they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many a sorrow. He coveted and he took it. And when it comes to the silver and the gold, he stole it from the Lord, no less. The boldness of this man. It should have gone to the Lord, to his treasury, but he took it for himself. So the Lord had won the battle of Jericho for them, but Achan has lost a battle in his heart. That's where it starts, isn't it? There was an opportunity. Guard your heart, Solomon says, for out of it come the issues of life. And just as we see here, and we see with the great fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who hid themselves from God once they had taken their forbidden fruit, Achan hides the stolen, coveted goods deep within his tent. He saw, he coveted, he took, he hid. And this cycle is repeated over and over again ever since that fall. And I trust you know that that is true even for the believer. James Wright in 1.14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Well, in verse 22, it's confirmed what Achan had confessed. And it is verified. They retrieve the stolen goods that are buried in his tent, and it gets displayed in front of all the children of Israel to see. A vivid scene for Israel to remember what and who it was that brought destruction and misery upon them. Obviously, there's much application for the believer in this section. Our battle with sin, the remaining corruption in the flesh, even as believers, 
the relief and freedom of the confession of our sins and not to hide it. And our daily fight against the world, the flesh and the devil. How we need to watch and pray as the Lord Jesus told us, lest we enter into temptation. Knowing that we also are but flesh and blood, weak, and as Jacob said of one of his sons, unstable as water, is key to remember. To be prayerful, to be watchful, to be vigilant, and walk circumspectly, meaning carefully, walking around you, seeing where you are going. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore him, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Maybe like me, sometimes look at people and go, well, I don't think it. I could fall for that or something. Or, and you're tempted in a very short way afterwards. How quickly can we be prideful about our own strength? And he goes on to say, but there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. For the believer, there's always, Scripture says, a way of escape. For Achan and us, the same wisdom that Solomon knew so well is helpful. He says, he that confesses he that covered his sins shall not prosper. But he whoso confesseth and forsaketh, them shall have mercy. Point three, the judgment of God. Well, we've come to an end of a heavy and sobering chapter. Achan had sinned against God and to his countrymen, and they and him had suffered greatly, but he would have to pay the price for it. In verses 24, we see that sad gathering of the nation one more time, not to celebrate a Passover over something joyful, or to hear from the Lord, or to see a, a fresh miracle before their eyes as they had done so recently. No, Achan and his sons and his daughter, his oxen and livestock, his tent and all that he had were brought into the valley of Acre, which was named after him, after this event. Acre meaning the troubler, the troubler of Israel. What a solemn and reflective procession that must have been. Imagine yourself in that procession. A long train of people bringing Achan and his family outside the camp to the place of execution. You may wonder, well, why his children too? Well, it could be that his children are not just babies, but are well of age and perhaps were accessories to this crime. Perhaps they helped the father cover up the crime. Deuteronomy says, the fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Matthew Henry writes on this, It is very probable that they assisted in the concealment, that he could not hide it from them in the midst of the tent, but they must have known and kept his counsel. So they became partakers in the crime after the fact. Verse 24 we see Joshua and the whole nation being participant even in the judgment that befalls Achan. Failing to do so would be questioning God's law, his holiness, and his righteous judgment. And they all have to stone him to death. These are heavy sentences. Think of the impression that would have had on the children of Israel. What would, it, what would they be reminded of once again about the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God? It was great that he finally confessed. And eternity will reveal whether it was heartfelt or not. We have seen 
Judas confessed somewhat. We've seen Saul confess somewhat. But he still has to suffer for the punishment of his actions. As we all they must pass through death. The wages of sin is death. <clears throat> and we see that likewise in David and in Moses, they had to bear some of the consequences of sin. All that Achan had was after the stoning burned. And in that pile, you could see a little bit of a glimmer of silver and gold melting away. And that coat that he had risked so much for burning brightly in the fire. With nothing, he had come in this world, and he certainly went out with nothing. What a reminder for us of all our possessions, our idols, our passions, our lust will one day take us, unless by grace we have fled from the wrath to come. The punishment of Jericho had now fallen on him. There was another pile of stones, wasn't it? Another memorial. This time it was not about the grace and goodness of God, but it was about the holiness of God. A warning for all people to see. Oh, let us examine ourselves this morning. Let us seek. Let us ask the Lord to seek our hearts and to reveal to us where our real treasure is. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Perhaps you are sitting here this morning and never have come to, to the one appointed by God to take away your sins. Would you consider once again your state, your situation, young or old? The judgment that Achan received will one day come upon you. The sin that you get away with, buried deep, in the tent of your own hearts, by thought, by word or deed, will one day be exposed. There'll be no court appeal. The judge of the universe have never lost a case. And it's an appointment you will keep. It is written, for we all must appear before the judgment seat. It's appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. You think Achan's sins are bad? Wait until yours and mine will be held up in the light of the blazing light of God's holiness and glory and law. If this is your plight, how will you escape a judgment? That the sentence is not a temporal fire in AI, but an eternal one. Well, we need an advocate. We need an attorney, don't we? We need an advocate who needs, who pleads our case before him. But how can he do that? Since I'm guilty 10,000 times over, is he able to clear my condemnation? And here is where the work of the, the blessed Redeemer comes in. He, the Lord Jesus, on behalf of all those who trust in him, pleads with the Father his case for us, our case for us. And it is grounded not in our works, that could never be, but on his, the work on the cross, so that he can give us a secure verdict. The punishment that I deserved, he took upon himself. Not only does he advocate for me with his perfect righteousness, but he also represents his clients for the rest of their lives, and he intercedes for them. Oh, how we need his intercession on a daily basis. Matthew Henry writes, The clients are guilty. Their innocence and legal righteousness cannot be pleaded. 
it is the advocacy's, the advocate's own righteousness, he must plead for the criminals. This advocate in Jerusalem some 1,500 years later would be taken in a similar procession that we saw at Achan. It was another crowd. There were soldiers. There were people of all kinds, women, Jews, and Gentiles. Some were weeping. Most were mocking, jeering. And he was taken to a place called Golgotha. It would be the place of his execution. The instrument of his death, the cross he carried with him. And on it he bore the righteous wrath, the fire of God for his people. The just for the Holy One, taking the wrath for the unholy and the unjust. Question remains, do you have such an advocate? Have you, by faith, gone to him for that type of security? This advocate said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are reminded again in this chapter of the seriousness of sin, the weakness and frailty of all of us, even as believers. Lord, the temptations that are around about us in a thousand ways. Father, I pray that this morning we would get a fresh glimpse of your hatred against sin when we look at the life of Achan. And Lord, if we're harboring sins deep within our hearts, thought, word of deed, and Lord, maybe we think we can get away with it or lead a double life. Oh Lord, would you be merciful to us? Would you bring conviction? And with that conviction that we would go to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him that died for sinners like Achan, Lord, sinners that have blood on their hands, sinners that would be despised by the world because of what they did. Yet, Father, you save sinners as such, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. <laughs>